Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I'm Andy McLenahan, and in this episode, I'll be discussing the incredibly important topic of the age assessment of unaccompanied asylum-seeking children. Immigration policy is in the news almost daily at present, and ensuring that the needs of children seeking asylum in the UK are met underscores the vital importance of the age assessment process. The recently passed Illegal Migration Act gives the Home Secretary powers to make regulations that if a child refuses to consent to what the government terms a scientific method of age assessment, they will automatically be deemed an adult and therefore subject to deportation. Social workers play a key role in the age assessment process and it's this role that we're going to dig into today. With me to discuss age assessments are Joe Schofield, Director of Immigration Social Work Services, and Baswa's Public and Political Affairs Lead, Kerry Prince. Joe and Kerry, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. Kerry, as always, welcome back. Joe, welcome. First time. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Uh, Kerry, how are you doing? Good. It feels like it's been a long time since I've done one of these. It does, doesn't it? it we were constantly, oh, Kerry was on all the time, my podcast buddy. So it's mm-hmm. lovely to have you back. Yes. And you're you're doing well, yeah? Yeah, good. Looking forward to talking about this. Good. With, with good. Joe, who's like the best expert I know. Okay, good. <laughs> High expectations, Joe. Yeah. Oh, Got to pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, okay, so Joe, For some considerable time, the Home Office has pursued a narrative that many adults who come to the UK on small boats are claiming to be children. Uh, I think it would be really helpful to frame our discussion from the outset to consider whether that claim is true. Is it supported by any evidence? It's a really good question. Um, It's really challenging to get a a true picture of what's going on um, because the data is not being recorded consistently or uh, thoroughly, I would say. There are, there are kind of two points that age can be disputed. One is at that initial point of arrival. So when young people are arriving into the country, predominantly at the moment, these are on boats into Kent. Um, and the second point that you can be age disputed is when you are placed into care and there are some concerns about your age. Um, different reports are saying different things. If you look at things like Migration Watch and some of the stuff the government have previously put out, you know, there are statistics saying that, you know, 66% of people claiming to be children are later assessed to be adults. However, I feel that this statistic is not a true reflection of what's going on. Didn't the Sun newspaper have to issue a correction on the back of that, using that statement? Using that yeah, statistic? Yeah, I think what this I think the statistic is probably true in in, in a in an initial sense, that what probably happened was you had 66% of people claiming to be children at the port were then said, no, you're an adult. So they're initially assessed by the Home Office as being adults. So 66% of children or people claiming to be children were deemed adults, rightly or wrongly. What it doesn't take into account, however... And that's not the same however, as 66% of all children at all. Absolutely. Yeah. And also what it doesn't take into account is the amount of times or amount of cases where that decision was overturned by social workers. Um, so I was looking at some Home Office data sets before I came on earlier. And in 2022, from what I can work out, roughly 38% of age disputes. So these are only people who are age disputed. This is not a percentage of the whole uh, population, uh, US population. Um, 38% of age disputed cases um, found people to be adults rather than children. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Um, do we know how many children arrived in the UK even like last year unaccompanied um, asylum seeking children? It's circa three and a half to four and a half thousand a year on average. Okay. So you're looking roughly about 10 children a day? Yeah, probably. Uh, I mean, obviously uh, that will spike with the weather and things like that. 
Yes, yes. I'm, I'm wondering as well, Joe, are there children arriving that aren't known then to either the Home Office or to Children's Services? I mean, are there children arriving who are essentially disappearing in, in, as soon as they arrive? Yeah, there are definitely cases where we have young people arriving into the UK who managed to slip past border control and then uh, either found at a later date um, or they present themselves later on having been in the UK for a little bit of time. I wouldn't say it's a huge population, but it, I would say it's a small population, but definitely significant. Okay, okay. Now, Joe, there's various bodies involved in the age assessment process. The Home Office, UK Border Force, local authorities and the recently created National Age Assessment Board. And we're going to discuss each of those in detail in turn. But I want to start at the beginning. Um, Who is an unaccompanied asylum-seeking child most likely to encounter first in terms of the age assessment process? Would that usually be a Border Force agent? Yeah, absolutely. Especially at the moment. Since Brexit, we've seen a real shift in how young people are arriving into the UK. So prior to Brexit, we had a lot of young people arriving via lorries um, and coming into different areas of the country. Um, those young people will probably be seen by um, police. Um, they'll be their first encounter would be a police officer if they've been you know, found on a, a service station or knocking on the lorry door or whatever. Um, however, since Brexit, those crossings are much more challenging. So we see a lot more of the boat crossings, which means that most of our population now are being encountered by border force at the docks, essentially you know, Kent being the largest arrival area. Okay, and does that mean in terms of pressure on children's services, does that mean post-Brexit the pressure is being concentrated in specific areas then as opposed to dispersed across the country? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always been, there have been specific entry points. So Kent obviously being one of them, London and being another. You have Essex, Thurrock, places like anywhere where there's a kind of port. Um, So there's always been pockets of the UK that were sort of disproportionately affected but since my view is post-Brexit, I think that's been very much concentrated now towards Kent because the methods of arrival have changed. So if in the current situation, unaccompanied child asylum seekers are encountering border force, what does a border force age assessment process look like? So what will happen is a young person will arrive um, and the person they'll be asked is their name, date of birth. Um, the young person will then say they are a child. They'll either give a date of birth or they'll say, I'm 15, I'm 16, I'm 17. Like sometimes they don't know their age. Oh, sorry, they don't know their date of birth, but they know their age. So they might say that. Um, what will happen is the border force official will make a very, very quick decision based on kind of physical appearance about whether that person could potentially be a child or not. Um, and if border force considered that person to be something called significantly over or clearly and obviously over um, 17 and 364 days, uh, they will deem them to be an adult. So they might not necessarily come to the attention of social workers. So a chief immigration officer, for example, can make a decision that someone is an adult without getting a local authority involved. However, more often than not, um, if someone's coming into the UK with a date of birth that makes them a minor or they're claiming to be a minor, that um, the border force will refer them to a social worker to make that decision. And I want to come back to that. Um, Children that are sort of deemed at the very beginning to be um, over 18 um, Mm -hmm. and how that then ties in with the assessments that social workers will be doing in local authorities. So I am going to come back to that point. But it would be helpful, Joe, if we could also cover then um, when the local authorities come into the picture. You mentioned, um, is that when a border force agent would think the child is significantly over 18? Uh, no, if the border force agent feels they're significantly over 18, they wouldn't necessarily refer them to social services. It's only when they're under 18 that that referral will be made. Okay, sorry, I'm getting mixed up. Yes, okay, so the referral is made if they are seen to be under 18. Uh, what does the what does the social work assessment look like? 
Uh, it's a brief inquiry or a, a short form age assessment. So essentially, I mean, a good a good example of that would be to go out and make a very quick decision on age. So you're looking at kind of a couple of things here, really. Is that child eligible for children's services? So are they a child in need? And um, for example, you might have an unaccompanied child arrive, but actually they've got dad living somewhere in, I don't know, Bradford or something. And actually, so therefore, maybe we could reunite them. They're not necessarily entitled to services because they've got family to take over support. So what you would do is you would be making a decision, okay, is this person entitled to services, i.e. are they under 18? Um, so it'd be a very quick visual um, judgment to say, okay, could, could this person be under 18 or not, just based on their physical appearance? Um, you might ask a couple of questions about how they know their date of birth. So, um, for example, we've had people say, oh, I'm 17. Okay, well, how do you know you're 17? Because that guy in France told me. Well, who's the guy in France? Oh, he's the agent. Okay, well, how does he know you're 17? Because I gave my date of birth in the Afghan calendar, for example. And then when you do the Afghan calendar conversion, actually, he's 22. And that the agent had given him a bad conversion. So it's all these kind of things. You can do some very quick um, lines of questioning to try and establish, okay, could this person be under 18 or not? Um, but really, that is what you're looking at. Is not, is this person under 18, but really, could they be under 18? Because it's very difficult to make that judgment at the port. You know, young people who are newly arrived are, um, you know, they've been sleeping rough. They've had arduous migration journeys. They don't look like they would do normally. They look older. They look physically older. In, in terms of um, terminology, we'll hear about Merton compliant age assessments. Um, what does that mean? Uh, and uh, what's the social workers role in, in terms of conducting that assessment? So a Merton compliant age assessment really is just an age assessment that is compliant with the Merton judgment, which was the kind of first really big piece of case law that we had um, surrounding age assessment. So prior to that case law, social workers and local authorities were doing age assessments kind of on the back foot. They'd do an, an age assessment that they thought looked okay. It would receive a legal challenge. They'd go to court and the court would say, oh, no, sorry, that we've decided that's not lawful. Um, so then local authorities would change their practice. They'd do another age assessment, go back to court because they'd be challenged on it. And the court would go, okay, yeah, we've, you've done that bit right now, but we've decided that this isn't okay. So what the Merton judgment did really was set out a kind of framework as to how the courts expected a, good, a lawful age assessment to look like, which essentially is just a fair process. So that's what we're talking about. We're talking about Merton compliant. Like, is it compliant with that judgment that came out in 2003? Okay, so is there an established process for conducting that assessment? There's, uh, yes and no. <laughs> There's parameters. Okay. Essentially, a, a good or a lawful age assessment needs to be fair, effectively. So one of the sort of, or some of the principles they have in place are things like two qualified social workers undertaking um, the assessment, having the presence of an appropriate adult, an independent appropriate adult to make sure they're in person supported through the process, an interpreter being present, for example, things like that. So very sort of practical arrangements that would enable that process to be there. So just to help me out, when we're going back to talking about a social worker actually at the docks doing the mm -hmm. assessment, is that different from the Merton Compliant Assessment or is that part of the Merton Compliant Assessment? No, it's different. You're not doing a full Merton age assessment. There. You're kind of making a, a brief assessment on the information you've got in front of you at the time, which is very, very small. I want to kind of go step by step through an example of a Merton compliant age assessment. So um, could you take us through something that kind of a standard process? Um, a young person arrives um, on a boat, unaccompanied, border force, uh, pick them up. They are claiming to be a child. Their age is under question. Social work conduct uh, an age, uh, Merton compliant age assessment. What does that process look like then? So what would happen, just to clarify at the point uh, of arrival, the 
the Home Office might dispute their age, um, and then there'll be a decision about whether that child becomes a child in care uh, or girls gets put into local authority care. So full Merton compliant age assessments are generally only reserved for young people that have been placed into care. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Thanks. Thanks. That's okay. So once they're in care, um, if there is still a question about age, because that can change as well, um, sometimes young people are age disputed at the port because they look considerably older um, because of their experiences, and then they get into care, they rest, they sleep, they eat, um, and all of a sudden they look 16. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, uh, however, um, if there is still a dispute about age, um, there is a kind of an informal process that you can go through. Um, I like to call it a, a six-step process because I like processes. It helps me uh, break down a very complicated task. Um, so step one is always around decision-making. Do you actually have to do this piece of work? Why are you age disputing this young person? Where is that dispute coming from? So really examining your own um, reasons for that. Are you disputing the age because you're getting pressure from the home office, for example? Are you disputing the age because that young person has a beard and that falls outside of your experience of working with 16-year-old boys? Um, you know, really examining that. If you do have that kind of evidence to go, actually, yeah, no, I do think this person is not the age they are saying they are. Um, so you have your standing, standing planning stage, sorry. And um, then you have your um, planning stage where you're getting all the kind of practical arrangements in place. So making sure you've got your professionals that you need. So your two social workers, your appropriate adult, your interpreter, your rooms, coordinating all of those diaries, getting all your resources together. Your preparation stage, which is the stage three, which would be to uh, go and gather information from all the professionals involved working with that young person. So speaking to the foster carer, the key worker, school, ESOL, um, youth worker, cricket coach I've done, um, psychologist, anybody that has a professional relationship, you would go and gather a kind of uh, a view from about age. Um, you would also do some research around country of origin. So looking at what's going on in that country, some of the things that might impact the way someone presents in that country, anything you can look at to cross-reference on a timeline. Then you would do the age assessment with the young person, which is essentially, um, you know, a nine to 25 hour interview effectively, which takes a long, long time. Oh, wow. Okay. So this is not, it's, it's not a short process. This is very mm -hmm. in-depth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Um, so are we talking, are you talking weeks to conduct this? Uh, what, what sort of time frame would you have as a stat? I know it's difficult to talk about a standard case, but um, try your best to humor me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, no, I mean, I would always recommend that it shouldn't take any longer than two weeks in total because actually it's such a okay. traumatic, stressful process. You don't want to prolong that and drag it out. Sometimes okay. things happen and of course it takes longer. Um, but I would always recommend that you can try and get your age assessment completed or those hours completed within no longer than two to three weeks maximum. What if a young person, I mean, as I imagine many young people who have come, you know, by very challenging routes, and especially if they're fleeing war um, or conflict, you know, if a young person is traumatised, uh, in terms of actually supporting them through that process so that they're able to represent themselves honestly and, 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 and fairly, how, how does that work? Yeah, it's really challenging. Um, it's so, so important to to go back to your kind of basic social work routes and do the things like establishing rapport with young people. I know it sounds really cheesy, but just doing spending time doing that at the beginning will really help to kind of cement that relationship. Um, you've got to take into account trauma. You've got to take into account um, hostility. Like they assume everybody works for the home office. Um, so they're very guarded about what they'll tell you. And um, they might have fear about, you know, if I tell you this, is that going to have repercussions? Are you going to tell the embassy? Is that going to have repercussions for my family? Um, you know, their experience of people in authority probably has not been very positive. Um, so, you know, you've got to try and develop this rapport and trust in someone who has had years and years and years of, uh, of not trusting those in 
authority. So it's really, really tricky. I mean, the role of the appropriate adult is to make sure that young person is supported through the process. Um, we use um, lots of sort of direct work activities to try and gather that information, to try and move away from this kind of Q&A interview style of age assessment, which is kind of what we used to do. Um, much more sort of direct work to try and extract that information as much as we can in a more sort of young person centred way. But yeah, it's tricky, really tricky. I'm even thinking like cultural factors, you know, social work is a 85% female uh, workforce. Mm -hmm. Um, Certain countries where women's, um, women may not have the professional standing that men have in general. Does Mm -hmm. that ever come in as a factor in terms of um, uh, unaccompanied child asylum seekers being willing to open up to uh, a woman? Have you encountered that? Yeah, I have. I have. But it's very rare. I don't think it's as much as people think it's going to be. I think it's a really common concern for people who are maybe new to the work. But in my experience, I, I could probably count on one hand the time I've had issues with that. It's not often. Okay. When you're saying the example of, you know, being able to grow a beard at 16, I remember I can, I'm 40 and I can hardly grow a beard. But I remember being in school in lower sixth, so 17, and a guy getting told off for not having shaved. Uh, and oh, that really? was lunchtime. And he was like, I shaved this morning. <laughs> it was just, Gosh, really? you know, so yeah, yeah, he was a he was a real macho guy. Uh, <laughs> um, so, um, Joe, how accurate? I mean, is is it possible to say how accurate Merton compliant assessments tend to be? Is there sort of a margin of error either way, or what? What sort of um, is there sort of number of years that you can kind of accurately predict somebody falls within? Yeah. So the Merton judgment looked at this. Um, as part of the as part of the ruling and the kind of it, it sort of agreed it's sort of between three and five years is this sort of about how accurate you can get it however there's no research to back that up <laughs> and that's what i'm really interested in like there's nobody's actually done any research to look at how effective or how accurate social work assessments could be because i think in some cases you could probably get it slightly more accurate um yeah i'm the agreed that three to five years is that did that come directly from the court case yeah, so the judge was looking at lots of available evidence at the time. So they looked at evidence from dentists, psychologists, social workers, radiologists, people like that, um, and social workers, and kind of concluded that the sort of level of accuracy would be between three to five years for social workers. Okay. And the same for medical professionals as well at the time. What is the process if a Martin compliant age assessment finds that a person seeking asylum is not a child? What happens then? Uh, so when the evidence is pointing towards someone being over 18, we'd have to have something called a minded to discussion, um, where essentially we have to put all the points of evidence that we believe makes that person an adult to that person. So we're giving them an opportunity to respond to that. So we would literally kind of go like, look, basically, you know, on the evidence available in front of me right now, it's my view that you're more likely an adult and these are the reasons why. And then you would list those reasons out and you would allow that person to be able to respond to each of those reasons in turn. Um, and then you would make a decision on that. Once that's happened, if your view is still that this person is more than likely an adult, um, then their care with the local authority would cease and they would be handed over to the Home Office and be kind of put into adult systems. And is there any um, any opportunity to appeal that or an assessment? Yeah, absolutely. So um, they can uh, have the legal right at the moment to take their um, age assessment to a solicitor and have that looked at and apply for appeal or judicial review of the age assessment. Okay, and then I said we we're going to come back to this point earlier on. So, mm-hmm. if a border force agent is the first individual an, an, an unaccompanied asylum seeking child comes into contact with on their arrival to the UK, if the border force agent assesses them incorrectly, deems them to be over 18, how likely is it then that the child will have the opportunity to receive a Merton compliant age assessment? 
conducted by a social worker like are they basically if you're struck out at that point are you in big trouble I mean, you are in trouble. Um, at the moment, though, there is a kind of sort of contingency to that. So what will happen is that you will be dispersed ordinarily through the adult system. You'll end up in a hotel somewhere in a dispersal hotel, an adult hotel with other adults, um, where you will probably make what, what's happening is you make yourself known to the hotel staff and say, like, look, I'm a child. I shouldn't be in here. And then a referral is made to that local authority where the hotel is placed. The local authority would then go out and make a judgment about whether this person is you know, clearly and obviously over 18 or 25. Um, or whether actually, no, we think this person could be a child, let's bring them into care and potentially do a full age assessment if needed. So there is at the moment this kind of backup system that um, allows young people to have access to that referral. Sure, we're talking at the start about um, the prevalence of um, people claiming to be a child who are then assessed as an adult. Uh, Do we have Mm -hmm. any idea about the proportion of children who are wrongly assessed as an adult? Again, no statistics. They're not collating that, uh, which is frustrating. Um, I've got lots of anecdotal evidence um, just to kind of give you an example. Um, I was asked to do um, a piece of work uh, where there were 30 people in the hotel claiming to be children. And of those 30, 15 were absolutely children. Um, 10 were sort of sitting in this kind of, oh, you could be a, you could be 17, but you could be 19, 20. It's going to be very difficult for me to work that out. And then five were definitely adults. So just to kind of, that's my experience. And that is echoed across the UK from what I hear speaking to social workers. So that was 30 individuals, yeah? And you're saying yeah. 15 were clearly children. When you say 15 were clearly children, do you mean clearly children on just on first first, yeah. uh, first glance? Yeah, okay. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. There was no doubt in my mind that these were children. So how, how does that situation arise? How do they end up in hotel accommodation? Uh, is it just border force of deta- an overzealous border force agent to say GR? an adult when you're when you're not yes exactly that yeah. yeah so they've arrived the home office has said you're an adult you end up in hotels joe we've talked about the role of border force we've talked about the role of social workers in local authorities um there's a new body which has been recently established the national age assessment board what role does that have in conducting age assessments it would sound like it's pretty central to its function yeah so it's a it's a central age assessment team effectively um, so they are social workers employed by the home office to go out and conduct age assessments on behalf of local authorities whether it's an age dispute so they have sort of teams set up around the UK and they will go into different local authorities and uh, do their age assessments for them. Yes and we're going to get into the way that the government is seeking to assess age. I do know before we go any further Basel had been explicit in, in saying that members, Basel members should not apply for jobs at the what NAV National Age Assessment Board. Um, what were those concerns Kerry? Why was that? Primarily we were concerned about the lack of clear blue water between the Home Office and the National Age Assessment Board. The Home Office is um, headed up by a politician who has political beliefs, who is driven by a political agenda. And that political agenda is to reduce the number of people coming here by small boats, that it's it's the public statement that there are um, adults masquerading as children that shows that this Home Secretary and previous Home Secretaries have an agenda to push. To then employ the people who carry out those age assessments feels like a conflict of interest, whereas local authority social workers um, are more impartial and that local authorities don't set immigration law. The Home Office through government does. Um, so so there's, there's lots of concerns about conflict of interest and social work ethics um, and kind of the, the, 
the the values behind the social work profession. Kerry, just to to set me straight, so I'm not laboring on laboring under any misunderstandings. Um, is the issue that Basel perceives a conflict of interest, or does Basel perceive the the NAB to be lacking in objectivity? Yes, I believe lacking in objectivity is is a key point. The the Home Office we met with the Home Office, Basel met with the Home Office, and they couldn't tell us that the NAB was separate from the Home Office because it isn't. I, I'm not one to give Celia Breverman uh, the benefit of the doubt, but giving her the benefit of the doubt for the the, the purpose of this question. Even though she has a very clear line on immigration, it's still possible for people employed by the Home Office to work within a context where assessments are done objectively and fairly. That's what I'm trying to get at. Does Basra, Basra challenges that, that, that the NAB is unable to work objectively and fairly given the political um, outlook of the, the Home Secretary? Yeah, yes. Um, or yes, I'd question the... the the motive and the the infrastructure, whereas in a local authority, I'm sure Joe can speak better, better to this than I can, about um, having colleagues around you and seeking support and guidance and in the Home Office. Who's their line manager ahead of a, a civil servant, not a social worker? They're operating under a hostile environment policy, aren't they? That the Home Office operate under that, and that can never be child-centred. Um, it's a it's it's a, a departmental. Um, what's what I'm looking for? Culture um, to reduce, uh, to operate in this hostile way, to reduce immigration, to make immigrants' lives as difficult, or make the UK as hostile as possible towards immigration. Like that's the agenda that they operate openly under this policy, and it's very difficult to see how social work practitioners would not be impacted by that hostile environment culture that is so prevalent within the Home Office. Um, they are designed to reduce immigration figures, and with the, the the new legislation that has come in, the the impact that making someone an adult has will go a long way to reducing migration. Because essentially, if you make someone an adult, in theory, at the moment, they could be deported, therefore reducing their migration. Yeah, culture. That's exactly it. It's it's it's, it's a culture, uh, and I think it also needs to be asked: Why does the Home Office want to have this function? Are we to mm. believe it's because they want to reduce the, the the pressures on local authorities and capacity to conduct the age assessments? Or is it so they have more control over the process? And why is it they want more control over the process? When we're looking at biological methods of age assessment, why is it they're looking at bringing in biological methods of age assessment? What about the Merton compliant um, age assessment process by um, two social workers isn't sufficient enough for them? I mean, they're just questions, Andy. Um, Questions I think the Home Office should answer. Yes, good. Thank you, Kerry. Now, I'm just the hostile environment. That goes way back to when Theresa May was Home Secretary, isn't that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's this is nothing new. It's been ramped up and ramped up, and the um, Illegal Migration Act being sort of the most recent step of the hostile environment. But this is nothing new. It's not like it just arrived in 2023. The hostile environment we're going back uh, a good number of years. Kerry, something that you mentioned there, and this maybe semantics. But I think it's really important that we, we discuss this. So the Nationality and Borders Act 2022, that allows the Home Secretary to make regulations specifying, air quotes, scientific methods that may be used for the purposes of age assessments. Now, you refer to biological methods. Uh, yes. Why I, is that? Why is that? And I, what, sorry, what, what do they consider a scientific method and why do you prefer to call it a biological method? I think, I think the, the terms are used interchangeably. Um, but but I think biological method is more appropriate because it would be a biological method. It would be a, an X-ray or an MRI. Um, and and how 
And what is the science behind that? Um, so the government set up a age estimation scientific advisory committee um, to look at what scientific or biological methods could be used um, to, to, de- to determine um, age as, as best as they could. And the that committee has produced a report um, and it suggested MRI and um, MRIs and X-rays. I think it's of the of the um, the forearm, was it? The the what bones called? What are that bones called? There's clavicle, wrist, and knee. Ah, oh, right. there we go. Um, is there something dental X-rays as well, or mm-hmm. is that something as well? Yeah. Yeah, they're thinking about bringing that back in. Okay. So, so that, so that, so, and this committee kind of suggested those those methods as a, as a way to do it, but also raised concerns about consent and accuracy, and it would be. My, my understanding is that if they did a um, an X-ray on an age-disputed young person, the X-ray couldn't determine age. What it could do is 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 suggest whether the claimed age of that young person is possible. Um, so Joe might know this more, but it sounds to me like the young person would claim their age. Maybe this is where then the, then the social worker assessment would take place. And then the biological method would happen to see whether that the claimed age or the, the age determined by the social gate is possible. Um, and presumably, if it is possible, then that's the age. Now, should, should it say it's not possible, what else are they taking into consideration? Um, are we taking into consideration ethnicity, um, the possibility of broken bones that in the past that we didn't know about, um, nutrition, people develop differently. There's lots of questions. So I think this will be much more complicated to implement than the government think. Complicated, but scientific methods sound straightforward. Scientific methods sounds really precise. To the man on the street, to the woman on the street, to the person on the street, scientific methods sounds like, yeah, this is going to nail it. This is going to give us the answer. So with that in mind... Is that a problem? You know, the terminology that's being used, does it imply a precision that um, just actually isn't there? Joe, what do you think? I think when you're just using the term sort of scientific age assessment, it lacks the nuance around this, the reality of the situation, which is these these scientific age assessments are no more accurate than a what a, a social work-led assessment is supposed to be. So the accuracy is within, again, three to five years. They're not able to accurately determine how old someone is that they can say, we think this, you know, it is possible that they are this age. Um, so again, I think it's just the terminology sort of exaggerates or overinflates its ability uh, to be accurate when it, at the moment when it's not. It's it does kind of put you in mind of a, a much more mechanised system. You know, if you think about social work being a human system, one which is about engagement, which is about relationship. This is about this is about process. This is about scientific process, MRI scans, dental X rays. It's about mm-hmm. trying to take any human contact out of this process. And you're saying, Joe, that it's not actually any more accurate. Um, I suppose one of the things that I'm thinking of, we we're constantly hearing about uh, pressures on the NHS. I mean, MRI scans. Is there capacity to actually have hospitals uh, scan um, asylum-seeking children to determine their age? Like, what 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 will that mean for people who need an MRI scan for a medical reason, which is the purpose of the 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 scan itself? Yeah, so apparently there's a national shortage of MRI scanners <laughs> that we just don't have enough in the UK to to meet demand. Um, so I'm not into, again the practicalities of how this would be implemented if it was. It, there's no detail on that; it, it lacks detail. Yeah, and 
then like, if we're talking about like dental examinations, like we tried to get a dentist. Um, it's like the idea is I think it's just nonsense. And I think if people were more informed about how the scientific methods worked, um, I think they'd be a bit, they may start to feel like, well, will my operation or my scan or my test be, be delayed because of, because of the Home Secretary's whim to make it more difficult to claim to be a, to be a child? And Kerry, your job is representing Baswa uh, at Westminster, but also engaging with other professional bodies to identify areas of partnership working, etc. I mean, in terms of, I'm thinking about other, other um, professionals, radiographers, for example, pediatricians yeah. have have any of those professional bodies voiced concerns about the use of uh, medical interventions when there is no medical need yes uh, qu- quite a lot have because yes how can you so you'd be asking medical professionals to put a young person or any person um through a needless exposure to radiation um for the purpose of determining their immigration status i don't think that's what anyone joined the medical profession to do and I can't see many of them being prepared to do that there's no medical need but that that's for, I don't want to speak on behalf of another professional body that's that's for them to say but it's not straightforward and not only would they need the equipment but then yes they need the staff to, to, to be willing to do it as well. Where a child is younger if they're required to go through a scientific um, methods or biological methods assessment you know that can raise issues relating to competency um, you know for social workers it raises issues of parental responsibility and consent has the government shown any consideration to those issues oh, well the silence from me and Joe might have given you your answer um, okay not not that uh, well there's some there was some discussion a while back about the home secretary and the home office becoming a corporate parent but that is that is not happening and the home office were quite quick to say that's not that's not on the cards um so yeah there's lots of questions how how does this work um who supports the the, the young people in this process um so and just to clarify just just in case anyone misunderstood what i was saying or uh, i said it very quickly i'm aware i said it very quickly gallic competency that's about informed consent isn't that right joe for a young person mm-hmm. yeah absolutely there's no there's no method of establishing that consent i mean it's very difficult to you put a language barrier or a cultural barrier anyway so you know, we'll, anybody that works with this cohort of young people will tell you that, you know, you ask the question, they just nod and go, yeah, okay. You're like, you know, do you fancy going and sticking your head in that MRI? Yeah, okay. Like that's not informed consent. Like, they're just very, very, a lot of them are very, very compliant mm-hmm. um, because they don't understand the processes. They don't understand they, they can say no. Um, it's very difficult to assess for things like learning disabilities as well or, or um, learning difficulties. Um, but they can't, they can't even say no, track. really. This is it. Yeah, if you, it's very, very difficult. There's no system of enabling us to gather that consent um at the moment that would be fair i think um and then even if you know <laughs> it's not informed consent when you're told you have to do it otherwise you'll be an adult anyway <laughs> that's not yeah, informed and, and that is that is the key point here so yeah. the legal migration act allows a child to be deemed to be over 18 if they don't don't consent to needs assessment by scientific methods, you know, I mean, Joe, this is a question for you. There may be many, many reasons why a young person doesn't want to um, engage in the in the in that process. In terms of these are interventions, medical interventions. If a child has been traumatized, if a child has been abused or trafficked, if a child has experienced violence, you know, from a conflict situation, all of those issues, you know, are going to work against the child being willing to, to, to give their consent. That, that'll be my, my guess. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, MRI scans are, 
terrifying for anybody. You know, everybody I speak to that's had one has said, oh, it's horrible. You know, you're trapped in this metal tube that's making lots of big, loud, wary noises. You're not allowed to move. All of these things, you know, they're quite scary to go through on their own. But that, yeah, when you add in, you know, that young person's probably been shipped in a lorry at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, coercive consent is never the way forward. Well, it's not consent. Mm, exactly it's not consent it kind of takes to that example of you know course of control relationship and can anyone consent to anything in a course of control relationship um can you consent to anything where there is physical abuse in a relationship no because you've got the threat of physical abuse so is there ever really consent you know so can you imagine doing this for a citizen child i mean i just think gosh, if you had a british child I, I, care, it was the question i was thinking it is absolutely mm. without me getting too excited and angry it is beyond uh my ability to comprehend that if you did this yeah. to a kid um, who was born and raised in Manchester or Belfast mm-hmm. or London, it is horrific. It is, mm-hmm. you know, it is, I, I would argue it's abusive, um, mm-hmm. but that is, it's the two-tier thing. I mean, it's just, it's, I, I, I would, I would dare say it's, it's, it's naked nationalism. It's just, you know, us and them. It's just, to me, altogether wrong. But sorry, Joe, you continue. I, I got off on one there. No, no, absolutely. I mean, these kids are consistently... Uh, oppressed, you know, the, the amount of institutional racism that goes against uh, the differences between the, the services that these children receive compared to our citizen or resident children in the UK is staggering. Um, you know, they are treated so they're all children in care, they're all entitled to the same rights um, as all our other looked after children population, and yet they're treated considerably differently. And I always sort of ask that question, you know, if you did this to a child from Manchester, for example, or Belfast, you know, would like what would the uproar be and they'd go oh, no, you can't possibly do that well why is it okay for this kid from sudan then like how is that fair like what's the difference here if it's not if it's not his immigration status what is it thank you joe now kerry under the current legal framework does the home office have the legal responsibility as a corporate parent to take responsibility of children you know i'm aware that recently there's been a high court challenge uh the high court has challenged decisions of the government to house unaccompanied children in hotels so so this has been a been a subject of quite a lot of debate. Um, it looked like at one point the Home Office was going to make themselves um, give themselves corporate parent status, but that explicitly is, is, has not happened. It's not in the the Illegal Migration Act. Um, so they are not corporate parents. So what they have done is give themselves more powers. They have the, the power to remove a child from from local authority care. The power to accommodate a child. The power to deport a child. Um, even if they're deemed to be under 18 at the Home Office's, a Home Secretary's discretion. Um, so they've got a lot more powers than before the Illegal Migration Act was introduced. And I've heard it suggested, Kerry, that the that's partly to ensure that Home Office can take a child just before they age out of local authority care into Home Office control to prevent them disappearing um, so they can be deported. Would that be a fair enough assessment? Well, I absolutely do think that's a fair enough assessment, yeah. I want to come back, just we've moved on a bit from the National Age Assessment Board, but I think something which is really important to, to kind of look into in terms of the ability of that body to do its work fairly and objective, objectively, and we have kind of questioned its ability to do that. But I mean, when you think of the experience that local authorities have, years and decades of experience um, conducting age assessments, take a step back, um, park the concerns over political interference with the National Age Assessment Board. If we just try to be objective about its ability, um, is it realistic that any newly created agency could actually amass the necessary skills that it needs in such a short period of time? You know, just practical issues. 
It's unlikely. I mean, the Home Office couldn't couldn't even recruit the number of social workers they needed to to staff the National Age Assessment Board. How many uh, did they need, Carrie? Do you know? Oh, I th- oh, I think something they needed forty and got twenty or something like that. It was it was uh, it was not they're not fully staffed, so they're still recruiting. I believe like, over a year since they've started recruiting in the first place. Um, okay. They also don't have the infrastructure of of, of foster carers that, that local authorities do. Um, they would be essentially starting from scratch. There's, there's not many social workers who are prepared to do age assessments or skilled or trained or experienced enough to do age assessments. There's a, there's a very small population of us um, and a large part of that population will not want to work for the Home Office for all the reasons that we've already discussed. Um, so I think they're going to find it very, very difficult to recruit um, and what will happen. But that's not to say that social workers that are already employed there aren't experienced. Some of them are very, very experienced. They know what they're doing. Um, but what we see when the Home Office do a big recruitment drive is lots of social workers coming to us, for example, for training, saying, I've never done, I've never worked with unaccompanied asylum-seeking children before, but all of a sudden I'm really interested in age assessment. Um, and for me, a big drive for that, or my view is, is a big drive for that, is it's money motivated. The Home Office are throwing money um, at these social workers to try and recruit to improve um, their staff, which is a shame because then what you went... Is, is the NAB offering better wages than local authorities typically would? Is that right? Significantly more. <laughs> It's not okay. a small amount, it's significantly more. And what you see then is a group of people who are sort of um, motivated by that to join the NARB having not had any previous experience. Um, so then what you're going to end up with is an inexperienced workforce that are going to be making huge life-changing decisions um, with very, very little experience. That's not to say you yeah. can't do age assessments. If you haven't got experience, you're going to have to build that somewhere. I just would argue that the best place to do that is within a local authority first and then moving over if that's what you wanted to do. And just to finish up, Joe, I mean, that you're talking about individual practitioners there, but if we take mm. it up a step, you know, is there a risk that, you know, some voices in local authorities, you know, at a higher level may want to actually hand age assessments over to central government? You know, we know how much uh, local authority budgets have been cut over the last decade. Um, there's huge pressure on services. I mean, look at what's happening in Birmingham right now. Yeah. Um, you know, is there a risk that... Decision makers in local governments, uh, local authorities will be actually looking to hand that responsibility over. So I'm not talking about practitioners, but yeah. managers, senior managers. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, my view is that the the whole system is being so chaotically organised now. It's it's actually adding additional pressure. So the hotels popping up in local authorities are causing huge, huge problems for the local authorities. They're doing, you know, they're getting sort of anywhere between five and 30 age assessment requests a week, which is impossible to manage so if you've got an agency that comes on and said we'll do that for you for free of course you would take that up um so yeah i think that if they were fully staffed i think that local authorities would be using them more purely due to pressures which is ironic because the pressure has been created because of the ineffective system that is now managing the age assessment team (laughs) spy design yeah 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 kerry joe we're not exactly ending on a positive note, but we're going to wrap up now. Thank you so much for taking part in this episode. It's been really helpful. It's really helped my understanding of this complex issue. I know Kerry Baswa is working on some practice guidance for social workers. That is not quite yet published. We're recording this episode on the 6th of September. When that uh, practice guide is available, it'll be available from the Baswa website. And I'll also put it as a sh- um, in the show notes for the episode um, when it is available. So you can find it there as well. Thanks so much for taking part, guys. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.